everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Field Notes and Folklore. I am Becca, and I am your host. This week, we will be talking about a wildflower. It is commonly known as wild carrot or Queen Anne's lace. The scientific name of this wildflower is Dacus carota. And as we'll talk a little bit later about it, it is actually very, very, very closely related to the domesticated carrot that we see in our grocery stores today. Some other common names for this plant include bee's nest plant, bird's nest, and devil's plague. Queen Anne's lace is in the family Apiaceae. This family is also called Umbelliferae, and this particular family is the parsley, celery, and carrot family. There are about 434 genera in this family and nearly 3,780 species. Within this family, there are a number of leaf and root vegetables, herbs and spices, and garden ornamentals, most of which do have feather-divided alternate leaves. And we'll go into what these terms mean a little bit later when we go into the description of this plant. Within this family, the flowers are also commonly arranged in what is called an umble, which is a flat-topped cluster of flowers. And this cluster of flowers can be dome-shaped, cup-shaped, but it's pretty flat. But it does have a slight dome or concaveness to it. Looking at the genus of the wild carrot Dacus, there are 45 accepted species within the genus Dacus. And within this genus as a whole, there is a very rich genetic diversity of these wild Dacus species, which scientists are looking at as a gene pool for carrot improvement breeding programs. So for the domesticated carrot as ways that we can improve the domestic carrot through these other Dacus species. And the domesticated carrot is actually also a Dacus genus carrot. Speaking of the domesticated carrot, it actually has the exact same genus and species name as the wild carrot, Dacus carota. It just has the subspecies name, Sativus. So the domesticated carrot comes directly from the wild carrot, and we'll go into more detail on this later. So it's actually pretty likely that you've already seen Queen Anne's lace or wild carrot without knowing what it is. It is extremely common all over the world, and it commonly grows along roadsides, so it's something that you're likely to see as you're traveling. It's commonly about two to four feet tall. I saw a few different sources that said one to three feet tall, and I did see one source that said up to five feet tall. However, I personally have never seen a specimen that tall. So for one to get that tall, the conditions would have to be perfect for it. This wildflower is a biennial, so it has a two-year life cycle. And in the first year of its life, it only grows close to the ground. 
So it'll have a rosette of basil leaves during the first year. So it'll just grow close to the ground. And these leaves are typically about five inches long and they are compound leaves. So a compound leaf is a leaf that is made up of many parts and the leaflets often look like leaves on their own. So these leaves are compound with leaflets that are divided into narrow segments. They have a very feathery, lacy, or fern-like look to them. If you think of the domesticated carrot leaf, it is very, very similar to that. And then as the plant grows tall in the second year, that's when you're going to get that two to four feet tall wildflower that most people think of when they think of Queen Anne's lace. Going up the stem, the leaves are not going to be opposite each other. They are going to be what is called alternate. So they are going to take turns being on either side of the stem as they move up the stem. And the leaves do tend to be larger towards the base of the plant and occur more sparingly as you move up the stem. And the stem itself is pretty bristly. It's a light green and it'll look bristly or hairy. The leaves themselves are going to be about two to 10 inches long. The average is going to be about five inches long and they're going to be about several inches wide. The flowers of Queen Anne's lace occur in these umbels that are common of the family Apiaceae. And these umbels are called a compound flower, meaning they have many flowers that make up a group of flowers. And they occur at the very top of a long bare stalk. And each cluster, each umbel, is about two to five inches wide. Each umbel, so each cluster, has 20 to 90 umbelettes. So 20 to 90 smaller clusters, each of which has about 15 to 60 flowers. So the most common number of individual flowers on a cluster is up to a thousand. However, if we look at the specific math of that, so taking the low end of 20 umbelettes and 15 flowers on that umbelette, that would be about 300 flowers. But if we take the high end of that, the 90 umbelettes with 60 flowers on those, a really, really big cluster, that's 5,400 individual flowers. And each flower is about an eighth of an inch across. So within those clusters that are about two to five inches wide, you have about a thousand flowers. Looking at the individual flowers, each flower is going to have five individual petals. And then there are going to be five white stamens. Those are the little parts of the flower that are the male fertilizing organs. Those are the parts that have the pollen on them. And then the female part of the flower is also going to be white as well. Often within these clusters of flowers, you can find a dark purple or a dark red floret near the center. And there's actually some folklore that goes along with this that we'll get to talk about later. 
Scientifically, the function of this dark flower at the center is unknown. There is a hypothesis that the contrast in color is there to attract insect pollinators. However, experiments have been done that have not supported this hypothesis. The experiments showed that the insects did not have a preference for the clusters with a purple central floret versus the clusters that did not have that purple central floret. A really, really important part of the identification of Queen Anne's lace is going to be the stiff forked bracts underneath of the umbel. So these are leaf-like structures that are underneath of the flower, and they are going to kind of hang down opposite the direction of the umbel. So the umbel will make kind of like a cup shape, and then the bracts will hang down. And these are going to be three forked, they're going to be stiff, and this is going to be a key identifying feature when it comes specifically to Queen Anne's lace. So this is going to be something that you want to look for because there are several lookalikes, several of which are highly, highly toxic or poisonous. And you will want to stay away from these lookalikes. As the flowers age and get closer to going to seed, the umbel begins to curl in on itself, forming what to many people looks like a bird's nest shape, hence the bird's nest common name. It then begins to turn a brownish color and begins to go to fruit before it goes to seed. So the fruit themselves are two segmented and they are light to reddish purple. And then before they go to seed, they change to green to a grayish brown before splitting into two one-seeded segments. The fruit is going to be pretty seed-like. It looks like a seed already, and it's bristly, it's dry, it's small. They're only about three to four millimeters long and two millimeters across. They're going to be broadly ellipsoid and slightly flattened. So when Queen Anne's lace is going to fruit, the umbel curls forming that bird's nest shape, but then it actually separates from the flowering stalk so the wind can take it and disperse the fruit along the way. And so the fruit will be dispersed as this umbel rolls across the ground being dispersed by the wind. Then, once they go to seed and become the seed, each fruit divides into two carpels. Each carpel then contains a seed. The mature seeds are going to be yellowish-brown to gray, like the fruit, they're going to be flat on one side and they're going to be convex on the other. And along this convex side, so this curved side, there are going to be several longitudinal ribs with lines of bristles and stiff hairs. And this serves a very important purpose. This causes them to be dispersed further by latching onto fur or feathers which they do so very readily. So they're kind of like burrs and they stick to animals. That way the seeds can spread further and the plant can continue to disperse. Moving underground, 
The roots are typically brownish to white. They can also be a yellowish color, and they are a long, long taproot. And this long taproot can make the plant very difficult to pull up. The roots are normally somewhat woody and bitter and spindly, and as we'll talk about later, they are edible when they're young, but once they get older, they're not very tasty due to that more woody and bitter taste. Now that we know what they look like, where do we find them? The answer is pretty much everywhere. They like dry fields, roadside ditches, open areas, waste places. They are very, very adaptable and often crowd out natives. So because of this, they are listed as a noxious weed in at least 35 states in the United States. However, they are not listed on the federal noxious weed list, or several other important noxious weed lists. As part of their adaptability, they can grow in many different soil types and pH levels. They do like to grow in sun to partial shade, and they really, really like to grow in disturbed areas. There was one study that actually showed that Queen Anne's lace tends to decline in their words, spontaneously, in areas where there is an absence of disturbance. So the presence of a disturbance actually really, really helps this plant thrive and survive. It's theorized that Daucus carota, or wild carrot, may have originated in Afghanistan or adjacent areas and spread to Mediterranean Europe before the Christian era. It was then later brought to North America by colonists as a medicinal plant, and it is now naturalized across the United States. Even though it is not native to the United States, it does have quite a bit of ecological value. It is still used by some native animals for food, as well as a variety of insects. Many butterflies, bees, and other beneficial insects utilize the flower for the nectar and pollen. Out of those that it attracts for that purpose, it's primarily small bees, wasps, flies, and beetles. Other insects will feed on the foliage, the roots, or even the umbels. So on the roots, you have the larvae of the parsley weevil, the larvae of the carrot beetle, and the larvae of the carrot rust fly. On the foliage, you have the zebra caterpillar, which is the larvae of an American noctuid moth. You have the larvae of the black swallowtail butterfly, and the two-striped grasshopper also feeds on the foliage of Queen Anne's lace. And then on the umbels of Queen Anne's lace, Allard's ground cricket feeds on those. It's also a summer host for several aphid species, including the willow carrot aphid, the hawthorn parsley aphid, and the honeysuckle fennel aphid. As far as vertebrates go, the seeds are eaten by the ring-necked pheasant, the ruffed grouse, the pine mouse, the woodland vole, and the American goldfinch. And it's also browsed sparingly by the white-tailed deer and the cotton-tailed rabbit. So the white-tailed deer has even been observed just eating the upper half of the plants, just chomping away, mowing it down. 
And the rabbit, due to its reach, uh, typically tends to be eating those lower leaves, which is where the foliage is more dense anyway. A really interesting ecological interaction is with the European starling. The foliage of Queen Anne's lace is preferred as nesting material by the European starling. And scientists have found that there are antibacterial and insecticidal properties in the foliage. And in these studies, it appears that this is directly benefiting the chicks of the European starling by reducing the number of nest lice and other parasites. So the European starling uses wild carrot, the foliage of wild carrot in its nest, and it's a natural insecticide. So it doesn't have near as many problems with parasites. Pretty interesting. Now that we have looked at the interaction of this wildflower with its surroundings and other wildlife, let's look at it in the context of humans. So the common name Queen Anne's Lace possibly came from the wife of the British monarch King James I, which was Queen Anne. People thought that the flower resembled her headdress because it had this beautiful, elegant lace on it. Going along with this story, supposedly Queen Anne challenged her ladies-in-waiting to a contest to see who could produce a piece of lace as beautiful as the flower. As it tends to go in these sorts of contests, no one won except herself. The common name of Queen Anne's Lace could also potentially be traced back to St. Anne, which is the patron saint of lace makers. It was very common in 18th century England for courtiers to use flowers as a sort of living lace. The common name bird's nest, as we talked about earlier, basically comes from that curling inward of the umbel, reminding people of the bird's nest. And wild carrot, because it is the predecessor to the domesticated carrot. When it comes to the domesticated carrot, the genetic structure and domestication of this particular crop is very poorly understood. The time frame and geographic regions of the first cultivation of carrots is pretty unclear. But it's thought that the carrot began being domesticated in Central Asia. Before then, it's speculated that the wild carrot seed was used medicinally or as a spice by prehistoric humans. Evidence of seeds were found at sites dating back to 4,000 to 5,000 years ago. And then beginning in the 10th century, wild carrot was cultivated and used as a storage route, similar to how the modern carrot is used today in Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, and maybe Anatolia. So the first recorded domesticated carrots occurred between the 11th and 15th centuries, first in Central Asia, then Asia Minor, then Western Europe, and finally in England. And these first recorded carrots were not orange. They were actually purple and yellow. 
Orange carrots were not well documented until the 15th and 16th centuries in Europe, and it was hypothesized that the orange carotenoid accumulation, as a side note, a carotenoid causes the orange pigment coloration. So this orange carotenoid accumulation may have resulted from a secondary domestication event. Actual written documents describing orange carrots did not appear until 1721 with the description of the long orange in several horn types, which are different varieties of the carrot. However, the orange carrot did appear in several Renaissance paintings as early as 1515 and perhaps even earlier. A study published in the American Journal of Botany in 2013 looked at the genetic structure of many different types of carrots, both wild and cultivated, suggested that the orange carrot was selected from the already cultivated carrot. There were many, many theories about where the orange carrot came from, It was theorized that it was a hybrid of the wild and the cultivated carrot, that it came from cultivated carrots, that it came from everything in between. And the study showed genetically that it came from the already cultivated carrot. This increase in orange carotenoids increased the orange color, producing the orange carrots that we see today. Overall, Wild carrots in Central Asia are the closest genetic relatives of the domesticated carrot. One interesting thing that this study discussed is that most crops show reduced genetic diversity as they are domesticated. However, this is not the case with carrots, and it is theorized that this is because of their open pollinated breeding approach while they were domesticating the wild carrot. So normally with a lot of crops, they see the importance of separating the crop from the wild varieties. However, when carrot was being domesticated, open pollination was accepted. And up until recently, it wasn't really thought about to separate it from the wild varieties. So this open pollination allowed for a large genetic diversity, which is further allowing for a healthier, more robust carrot for us to continue using it as a food source. And carrots are definitely used as a very, very large crop. The carrot is the most widely grown crop out of the family Apiaceae, also known as Umbelliferae. Carrot is cultivated on 1.2 million hectares globally. In the U.S. alone, 34,000 hectares are devoted towards growing carrots. And the estimated annual crop value of carrot in 2011 in the United States was $758 million. Looking at wild carrots specifically, even the wild carrot has a very high digestibility and a high nutritional value. It's also aesthetically pleasing and The flower is sometimes sold as an ornamental, particularly in wildflower mixes. Sometimes sheep, horses, and cattle will graze on it. However, some studies have shown that it can be mildly toxic to horses and cattle. On the more detrimental side of things, it does 
invade open ground and compete with native grasses and other forbs for resources, which poses a threat to recovering grasslands. It can also affect commercial carrot production. So, whereas before that open pollination was incredibly important for the genetic diversity of the plant, now it can harbor pests that affect both the wild carrot and the domesticated carrot. And with the heavy focus on seed production today, it can cause poor seed production through the hybridization with the wild carrot. It can also cause problems in hay when it is found in the hay fields, particularly in the second cutting of the hay. And if dairy cows consume a large amount of Queen Anne's lace, it can even taint their milk. As said before, Queen Anne's lace was brought to North America by the colonists as a medicinal plant. Wild carrot is incredibly useful medicinally. The plant is gently detoxifying, so the taproot can support the liver to eliminate toxins. The root or the seed can be used as a mild diuretic and can aid in the removal of waste in the kidneys, sometimes even breaking down kidney stones. The roots, leaves, and seeds can be used as a tea or a tincture to help reduce water weight or fluid retention in the abdomen and the extremities. The crushed seeds or a tincture or tea of the plant can encourage the breakdown of hard-to-digest meals, or also in cases where there's sluggish digestion that's hindering the absorption and assimilation of different nutrients into the body. Wild carrot is also well-known to stimulate the pituitary gland, and this specifically has been looked at in correspondence with reproductive hormones. So, the seeds can be used both as an agent to prepare the uterus for implantation and as a natural contraceptive. So it is very, very important to note here, do not use any part of this plant while pregnant as it is stimulating to the uterus. So do not use Queen Anne's Lace, Wild Carrot, Daucus Carota. Do not use this plant if you are pregnant. And as always, if you are planning to use any parts of this plant, Please speak with your doctor first, see if there's any interactions with any medications that you may be on. Please speak with a professional before trying any herbalist remedies. Wild carrot has also been used to treat threadworms, gout, rheumatism, cytitis, and urinary problems. And the root extracts have been found to have antibacterial activity, which could explain its use for urinary infections. As could be assumed with all the different medical properties, it is also edible. All parts of the plant are edible. The leaves, the roots, the flowers, and the seeds are all edible. The young, fleshy roots can be cooked or eaten raw. The flower clusters can be fried up for a carrot-flavored dish. The aromatic seed has been used as a flavoring in stews. And the dried, roasted roots can be ground into a powder and used as a coffee substitute. There are also ways to make teas out of it in many, many different uses for the wild carrot. If you plan on foraging for the wild carrot, 
be aware that contact with Queen Anne's Lace, Wild Carrot, Daucus Carota, may cause an allergic reaction in some individuals, which can include dermatitis and blisters. Also, always know which plant you are foraging for. There are several lookalikes to Queen Anne's Lace. As talked about before, the bracts, the leaf-like structures underneath of that umbel are incredibly important when looking at this flower. The most common lookalikes to Queen Anne's Lace are giant hogweed and poison hemlock. Both of those plants get exceptionally taller than Queen Anne's Lace. They do not have those bracts under their flowers, and poison hemlock has a purple-spotted stem. I recommend reaching out to an expert, an herbalist or a naturalist, somebody at your local park that is an expert at plant identification and can show you what the plant looks like and what these other lookalikes look like. That way you can become familiar not only with Queen Anne's Lace itself, but the lookalikes. That way you don't make the mistake because giant hogweed and poison hemlock can cause severe burns, severe irritation. They are not a plant you want to mess with. So really make sure you know what you are doing when you are foraging. It does have many, many benefits. There wasn't a whole lot of folklore on this topic, but I did find just a little bit. So Queen Anne's Lace is often associated with Queen Anne, the wife of King James I, who lived between 1574 and 1619. However, there is Queen Anne II, who lived between 1665 and 1714, that historians think may actually be the one associated with the Queen Anne's Lace common name. This Queen Anne had 18 pregnancies, out of which only one child survived. Because of this, this flower is often associated with the loss of children. Also with this Queen Anne, some believe that the flower got its name because Queen Anne was tatting white lace. And while she was tatting this lace, she pricked her finger with the tatting needle, causing a drop of blood to fall on the lace. And this is why the white flowers have that dark red or dark purple in the center. It's the drop of her blood. thought that was a fun little story. Queen Anne's lace is often associated with beauty because of the delicate lace-like flowers. Many women would actually add the flowers to their baths in hope of attracting love. Queen Anne's lace can also symbolize safety, sanctuary, and refuge. This comes from the look of the bird's nest. Bird's nests are commonly associated with feelings of home and as symbols of a happy home. So because the flower turns into something that looks somewhat like a bird's nest, that symbolism also transfers over to this wildflower. And to end, I'd like to read a poem titled Queen Anne's Lace, written by William Carlos Williams, who lived from 1883 to 1963. 
Her body is not so white as anemone petals, nor so smooth, nor so remote a thing. It is a field of the wild carrot taking the field by force. The grass does not raise above it. Here is no question of whiteness, white as can be, with a purple mole at the center of each flower. Each flower is a hand span of her whiteness. Wherever his hand has lain, there is a tiny purple blemish. Each part is a blossom under his touch, to which the fibers of her being stem one by one, each to its end, until the whole field is a white desire, empty, a single stem, a cluster, flower by flower, a pious wish to whiteness gone over, or nothing. I genuinely had a lot of fun researching for this episode. Wild carrot is a plant that I've always really loved, and even though it is considered noxious by many, it is also beloved by many as well. It is a very useful plant, and it is a forager's friend. If you have used this plant in any way, or if you have any questions about it, feel free to send me an email. You can send that to fieldnotesandfolklore at gmail.com. You can keep an eye out for additional content, fun information over at TikTok at Field Notes and Folklore. You can also get updates over on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is at Field Notes and Folklore. Facebook is facebook.com slash groups slash Field Notes and Folklore. And if you like the show, feel free to leave me a review. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or leave a rating on Spotify. Or if you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Field Notes and Folklore. And I will see you all in two weeks. <laughs>